Welcome to Attention Talk Radio, your ADHD information station where we help those with ADHD pay attention to attention. With your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Topper. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to this edition of Attention Talk Radio. I'm your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Copper. Our topic tonight, ADHD in college. Let's admit the launch pad is broken. Before we get into the meat of what I uh, believe is a, a very important show tonight, I uh, have a few announcements. Or Actually, real quickly, to this, it is the first week of July in the year 2018 um, in the evening. Um, uh, that this is being aired. A few quick announcements. I'd like to thank Lori DePar for inviting me to be the guest, I guess, speaker at the 2018 Success with ADHD Summit that will take place July the 23rd through the 27th um, in the year 2018. I'll be speaking about ADHD, working memory, and overcoming project procrastination. Uh, there'll be a lot of um, other guests and experts um, in her program, uh, many of which we've had on Attention Talk Radio. Uh, to learn more and to register for the event, go to succeed with ADHDtelesummit.com forward slash ATR. Um, again, as, as has been the case for a while, tonight's show is being brought to you by children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Uh, we're offering you two free digital copies of Attention Magazine, and to get them, all you have to do is just listen to our show and listen for the secret word that I'll give out in the show, and um, you need to collect three of them with the dates of the, of the uh, secret word or the title, and email me uh, at attention at attentiontalkradio.com, and we will email you uh, two current magazines um, in PDF format for you to review. Um, tonight's show, again, is being brought to you by Chad. They have a little tip that we want to play before we get into the show, so let's run the tip and go from there. It's not uncommon for someone with ADHD to struggle with anxiety, which could lead to stress and other health issues. Understanding how anxiety and ADHD may coexist is step one. Both can be managed with the right diagnosis and treatment, so be sure to talk with your doctor. To learn more about anxiety and ADHD, visit Chad's website at helpforadhd.org. Thank you, Chad, for that tip. Um, for those that are not familiar with Chad, they're the largest not-for-profit organization that advocates on behalf of those with ADHD. We encourage all of our listeners to, uh, to visit their website at chadd.org. Sign up to become a member. There's lots of great member benefits, the magazine, discounts at uh, conferences, um, access to National Resource Center, a whole bunch of stuff. But really the reason to join is really to support the organization because they help us speak with one voice uh, and advocate both on Capitol Hill, regulatory agencies, and in other areas that we're going to kind of talk about tonight. Um, so, again, we encourage you to uh, check this out. Um, okay. So let's get into the meat of the show. Uh, it is um, on our uh, country's uh, anniversary, uh, this week being the beginning of July, that I'm doing this show. And over the years, I've had the fortunate opportunity to interview a myriad of experts over the years. And um, as time has gone on, I really kind of paid attention to the concept of launching ADHD students into college. And I have, uh, I've come to my own personal conclusion. I feel that it's very fragmented and a very complex area that's being dealt with uh, episodically. 
And uh, tonight's show, I, I'm typically not the type of person who likes to shout out and say, hey, here's a problem, because it's easy to talk about the problem. The issue is really resolving it. But this is um, a topic that I am going to make, do a shout out on. I don't have an exact solution. But the purpose of the show is I really want to illuminate areas that I see um, in the transition of a teen into adulthood that is very problematic. And my hope is, is that maybe if I'm lucky, um, people will listen to this and maybe get this in the hands of somebody that can help uh, us do something about it. Um, so with that being said, what I want to talk about is, is, first of all, the nature of ADHD. I learned um, one, of my, one of my most favorite guests and probably the person I've learned the most from over the years is uh, Dr. Uh, Russell Barkley. And we did a show with him back in 2012 with his uh, EFDD construct, which is basically executive deficit dysfunction. And I've seen him speak a couple of times. He was making the argument that ADHD is an executive functioning issue, even though it doesn't show up as an impairment on the executive functioning test. Um, he's done lots of presentations that talks about the logic, why it is a, a, um, an executive functioning issue. Um, and, and basically he, what he's saying is the tests are wrong, uh, which is a little bit of an issue out there because there's a lot of people who ha are invested in those tests. Um, he also made the case is that one of the problems with defining ADHD as an executive functioning issue is there's no real clear-cut definition of it. Um, when I listened to him years ago, there was like 34 different definitions of it. And he was, as he said, it's a dog's breakfast out there. But the one thing that he honed in on is he said, you know, one of the major, if, if not the major, executive function is self-regulation. And that we have a really good definition for, which is a directing an action back on yourself to change your behavior, to change the future. It's a future-directed act. And he started talking about the notion of the automatic brain. Um, the impulsive brain, if you will, and the need to self-regulate behavior, to pause and override those automatic urge, urges. And as I have come to learn over the years, I boiled it all distractibility, self-regulation. Um, impulsivity is really self-regulation. Uh, he also made a case that emotions are as much a part of ADHD as attention is because it needs to be regulated, even though it's not in the diagnostic criteria, which, by the way, it was back uh, before 1970. So, with this being said, I revolutionized at least my way of working with those with ADHD because I do look at it as, as a self-regulation problem with a major working memory challenge. And we did a show a couple months ago with him about working memories, very, very comprehensive. In that show, we did some uh, attention exercises uh, to put people in an experience to witness their, uh, their working memory. And we actually started talking about um, how those with ADHD have attached working memory. They need to externalize things. They need to see it. They need to get it on paper. They need to verbalize it. And uh, we began to talk about technology and how um, sometimes high tech for those with ADHD is low tech. It's better to kind of print it all the paper. And the reason I'm highlighting that is because in the context, ADHD is a self-regulation issue with a working memory challenge. And we go into the school systems today. I've seen it in my own kids is they're going to the digital screens. And a few things about that. Number one is it's very taxing to the working memory, and it's very um, very difficult. Uh, my younger son was kind of going through, and there are PowerPoints, notes, text, hyperlinks, and stuff all over the place. And I, I personally have difficulty kind of consolidating the stuff so that I can see it in some type of logical, chronological order. Um, the best way to do that is really to actually print it and download it, and it takes hours to do that. And uh, 
what I have found is very frustrating is because the kids are being tossed this technology and they're told that they should annotate and stuff. Nobody's really sat down and watched the user experience. In fact, I've had teachers say that they love online textbooks, but they can't learn that way. Um, so it's, 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 it's just been a fascinating issue to me about how it's convenient for the administrative system to move all this stuff online, but it's making learning more difficult for the student and less is being done to kind of help them with those particular skills. In addition to that, we've, we did a, a series of shows last summer with Dr. Clifford Sussman on ADHD and uh, screen addiction. And the first show, we talked about the biology of it, uh, which really plays into uh, Dr. Um, uh, Barclay's notion that ADHD is a self-regulation issue. Then we talked about specific games that are designed um, to get kids addicted, and those with ADHD are more susceptible to that. Specifically, we talked about the game Candy Crush. And we actually kind of talked about like treatment of this. And it was fascinating, right or wrong, but I, I kind of see uh, digital addiction to be very similar to food addictions because pretty soon you're not going to be able to interact with the world without being digital. Just like if you have a food addiction, you have difficulty, you can't not eat, uh, which makes it a little bit of difficulty. So in setting the table, we've got kids that are going through high school that are having to interact with the world um, in a digital means, which is many times taxing to their working memory. Um, number one, and then number two is there's the constant temptation, the need to self-regulate amongst the games and social media. So more and more, there's it's more effortful for these kids to push back, and there's a lot of peer pressure for them to 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 invest the time in these games. So we've got that stage that's kind of unfolding, and really a, a memorable, I mean, exceptionally memorable interview of mine was with Dr. Timothy Willens. Um, let me see, what was the title? Transitioning from Adolescence to Adult. And this amazing thing happens uh, for ADHD students when you cross over that 18-year-old brush line because a lot of things change substantially. Number one, uh, it's time to move away from a pediatrician and to a family uh, medicine guy. Uh, one thing that I've learned over the years with people calling in is it's a lot easier to find a pediatrician that's knowledgeable about ADHD than find adults um, to take care of that stuff. So there's a transition that takes place uh, in this realm, and if they're going off to college, uh, it's a new relationship with that physician, uh, number one, if you can find somebody who knows something. And often if you're going away to college, you have a dynamic that's going on. Uh, we've done a show, um, an anonymous show back in December this year about a student who uh, it was a great not a story about a student who got arrested red hand for uh, uh, selling Adderall in school. Uh, it's a very insightful show that it was an innocuous situation. Um, this good kid, but ended up getting caught, which is these kids don't really understand kind of what's going on with regard to this, this adjustment, which is really another point. Number one, you're transitioning from a pediatrician to a family medicine and going off to college, but the legal issues start to change. When you go from 17 to 18, the notion of juvenile justice to regular court systems begin to change, and the regular court systems are different and a little bit more punitive, and that happens in this process. Another issue that takes place in this transition is privacy. Um, I know my older son, when he was in high school, when he turned 18, I no longer had access to his records uh, because he was of age. Um, this is a big issue, the access to their health records still um, it's, 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 it's a formidable issue. It can be gotten around, but it's something that takes place at the birth date of, of age 18. The other thing that's fascinating is when you become age 18, 16 through 18, many times you're more susceptible to substance abuse, 
which is highly correlated with ADHD, um, and access to some of these things. So this, this perspective of realizing that legally and from a healthcare perspective, things change on the 18th birthday, which are significant, that really changed the game pretty substantially. That seems innocuous, really is something that uh, is not there. So these particular things have been dealt with kind of in isolation, but there's no transition for these periods. So we have these teens that are being peer pressured and tempted into more digital type means that makes it more difficult for them to self-regulate that taxes their working memory in an environment where nobody's sitting down with this crowd and began to teach them or coach them, if you will, on how to take notes. Um, like for me, I have a hard time taking notes. I like to annotate, but not highlight stuff. It's, it's anyway, I'm not going to get a lot, a lot of detail with that. So um, this is very much a challenge. And to me, um, some leadership of looking at this holistically. Now, I have been doing this radio show for uh, almost a decade now, and we speak to those with ADHD, but this is bigger than this. This is learning disabilities and dyslexia and autism, and, and the list goes on. So it's really like collectively, everybody's got their pockets, but we need to come together as a group of, of, of people to advocate on behalf of the system. Um, with that said, I want to go to break. Uh, when I come back, I did an interview a couple years ago uh, with um, Neil Peterson. And he did a spectacular job. Neil Peterson's the founder of the Edge Foundation, and he did a spectacular job about talking about the existing system and kind of talking about maybe where we should go to um, in order to, uh, to adjust the system a little bit, which I'm going to play an excerpt of that when we come back from the break. Uh, going into the break right now, everyone, the secret word tonight is help. The secret word tonight is help. And again, uh, thanks to Lori Depar for inviting me to be on her Succeed with ADHD Tell Summit. You can sign up for that by going to www.succeedwithadhdtelesummit.com forward slash ATR. And uh, with that, we'll be right back after these messages. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Transform lives as a professionally trained ADHD coach at the ADD Coach Academy. ADHD coaching is in demand, a calling, and a career. Learn how you can change your lives by going to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. The average annual cost of attending college starts around $25,000. Students who have ADHD are at high risk of dropping out because they haven't learned the critical skills they need to succeed in school. Protect your investment with an EDGE Foundation coach, specifically trained to help students with ADHD and Executive Function Challenge make the transition from high school to college. Visit edgefoundation.org to learn more or call 206-632-9497 and use promo code EDGE to get your free college success guide. Get it right with Omega Bright, the premier natural advanced omega-3 formula for improved attention and focus. Omega Bright was formulated by Dr. Carol Locke while on faculty at Harvard Medical School and was the first high-concentrate omega-3 on the market. Omega Bright is recommended by New York Times bestseller and leading ADHD authority, Dr. Ned Hollowell, who takes Omega Bright and recommends Omega Bright to all his patients. Order Omega Bright today. Visit omegabright.com or call 1-800-699-6525. Enter code ATTENTION on checkout for the chance to win a month's supply of Omega Bright. Make every moment count with Time Timer, a sensitive solution for ADHD time management. It shows how much time is left 
using a bright red disc that gets smaller as time passes. To place an order for a time timer, all you have to remember is timetimer.com. Managing ADHD is about pausing before you ponder and proceed. This opportunity to practice pausing is being brought to you by gigcoaching.com. Do you have something those with ADHD need? Advertise on Attention Talk Radio. We are a narrowcast, internet-based radio show targeting those with or impacted by ADHD. To learn more about advertising opportunities, email attention at attentiontalkradio.com. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Our topic today is ADHD in college. Let's admit the launch pad is broken. Uh, Before the break, I really wanted to kind of highlight the... What I've learned as the nature of ADHD at its core is it's a self-regulation problem with a working memory challenge. And every day when I'm coaching those with ADHD, uh, we're focused really on that. And uh, I have found that you can really boil everything, everything, every ADHD trait down to that in one form or another, um, which is a whole nother conversation. Um, with that being said, we started talking about the nature of uh, this, this move to digital means and how it is uh, more difficult for those with ADHD to self-regulate, and it's sometimes much more taxing to the working memory, and there's not a lot of uh, support um, and even tools that are dedicated to sit down to help those with ADHD begin to learn how to manipulate the information in a form that they can use that's less taxing on their working memory. We also talked about that transition of the 18th birthday. So many things happen that are invisible. The healthcare system changes, the legal system changes, Substance abuse issues begin to change, and through all this stuff, we began to hear lots of people talk about um, the need for executive functioning. Uh, these, these people need organizational skills, and they talk a lot about it, um, but I find more and more in the crowd that I'm coaching is that um, these digital means and this working memory challenges, everybody is um, advocating and selling people on apps and what uh, benefits that can happen but they're actually punitive for those with ADD. Again, in the interview that I did with Dr. Russell Barkley, we both kind of agreed sometimes high-tech for those with ADHD is low-tech, yet um, we're really bullied into thinking that uh, they shouldn't be using paper, which is difficult. Um, Making a transition, though, is the system that we we currently have, I think, was put together in a really well-intended way, and I don't want to steal the thunder for some of that stuff, but we have an excerpt uh, that I did uh, of an interview with uh, Neil Peterson, um, the founder of the Edge Foundation, back um, the, the particular show that I did was ADHD College Students Don't Want Help um, with uh, Teresa Maitland. And we're going to do an excerpt from her in a little bit. But I want to play this, uh, this bit from Neil because I think it does a really, really, really good job of framing some things out um, in the space in terms of what's happen- where we are and what's kind of going on. So let's roll the tape. Neil Peterson is the founder, chairman, and CEO of the Edge Foundation, a not-for-profit dedicated to helping at-risk students. Neil, welcome to the show. Oh, nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, well, it's a, a thrill to have you on. Um, you you have dedicated so much time and energy um, to the uh, the Edge Foundation to help uh, students in higher-level education kind of get the help that they need, particularly for those with ADHD. So I couldn't think of anything anybody better to really to kind of ask some of these questions on. I'd like to begin by asking you, can you give an overview from your perspective of the evolution of the accommodations for at-risk students and non-traditional learners with executive functioning challenges? Well, with the passage of the federal legislation, which was obviously very well intended and, 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 you know, most if not all universities and colleges 
uh, have responded and set up uh, disability services offices, you know, where, uh, you know, a student with a diagnosis can come in and, and, um, and, and, and be uh, reviewed to determine whether or not certain accommodations make sense for them. I mean, that's all terrific in, in terms of its intention. However, um, the reality is, as you know, most, um, most of the colleges and schools that have this are not getting the kinds of participation from the number of students that could use this that they would that uh, that the students deserve or that they would like. That that's and that's exactly why we want to have you on the show because I I loved how you said it was really really well intended but we're not getting the results. In other words, those in need that we want to help are not reaching out for that help. From your perspective, why is that? Well, I think it's uh, it's a pretty simple answer. Uh, even though the colleges and universities are doing what the law requires. Um, the reality is that it's very, very uh, tortuous and intimidating from the point of view of the uh, the student and their and their and their parents. Let me give you an example. My daughter Kelsey, when she went to college in New York City, first of all, we had to have her diagnosed, and just to do that is not a small deal. Uh, mm-hmm. That takes effort to find the right person to do it. It costs a not insignificant amount of money. So once that's done, then that has to be shipped in, sent in to the the disability services office at the institution that your your child is going to. They then, on their own, determine whether or not to accept the diagnosis, mm-hmm. which is kind of a black box, and you're sitting there waiting to determine whether or not it's going to be accepted. And then they, on their own, determine which of the many accommodations that they provide, you and your di- your your daughter and her diagnosis will will uh, be eligible for and and then they they have you come in and sit down and they they tell you yes she's been accepted and you get the following two or three accommodations and then they give you a letter to that effect and this of course process takes quite a bit of time and then and then at that point um the student uh is on her own or his own to get, then go to their individual teachers and and show them the letter to get the accommodation in that particular class. Now, this is, I know we all talk about self-advocacy, and, this, you know, um, this is a 17-year-old first-year college student, but that is very intimidating. And for somebody to go through that whole process, um, it's just uh, many kids won't do it. They just won't do it. And so what you're finding is that in schools where, you know, they should be having, uh, if, a, if a school is, has 50,000 kids, by all rights, 5,000 of them have, for example, ADHD on an average, uh, 143 will actually have signed up for the accommodations. So th- there's a reason why that's occurring, and I think it's it's the, uh, the torturous nature of the review, the uh, self-advocacy required, and sort of the... Um, the uh, putting the kid in a position of um, uh, being a little um, overwhelmed, if you will, from day mm-hmm. one on what's required. I, I love, absolutely love how you've described this. It was the stuff that's in place was well intended, but it's exceptionally intimidating. And as a kid going to college at 17, maybe 18, I mean, this is so intimidating and so torturous. It's no wonder why there's such such a small take rate. I mean, it it, it 
I mean, if you back up and really look at it, as you've described, at a, at a high level, I mean, I can totally understand why we're getting the outcomes. Now, I'm sure they looked at each step by, on the way and say this is like no big deal, but collectively it really makes a lot of sense. Um, let me well, ask you a question. Uh-huh. You, you want to make a comment? No, no, go ahead. Ideally, what do you think would be the, the goal to work towards such that those with ADHD would actually get these services in a way that would be far less intimidating and um, be more positive? Well, to me, the answer is is pretty simple. I mean, let's face it, all of these kids that have to go through this have been accepted by the school. I mean, we're talking Mm -hmm. about bright kids that got in. And and then secondly, uh, the number one issue facing most, um, you know, uh, colleges and universities is completion, graduation. Mm -hmm. And, and, And given those two points, my attitude, or at least what I think should be the attitude of the uh, leaders at our universities and colleges, ought to be what can I do to make sure that that child, that student that I've already accepted, can be successful at my university and my institution? And, and so, as opposed to, you know, uh, thinking about, well, you know, who has the diagnosis and what accommodations will we give them? I'd start the other way around. I'd say every one of my kids can be successful here or I wouldn't have accepted them and mm-hmm. what can I do to ensure that success so I would give I would uh, mandate myself not give I would mandate that every kid who started as a freshman at a uh, two or four year uh, college or university institution have a coach I would give them an executive coach until they prove to me that they don't need it rather than waiting for the kid to have trouble for the first six months be put on probation and then is out of school after a year. I would you give know, a kid coach from day one. That that's 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 such a paradigm shift. And you know, we had a Neil, you and I getting ready for this had a conversation about being an advocate. I mean, you've described that you know CEOs like boards mandate CEOs have coaches. Tiger Swing has got a, a golf swing coach. The idea is to help them maximize what they're capable of doing and in the. In the higher education level, what you're describing really makes all the sense. You've got kids that are coming out of high school for the first time. They've got life skills. They've got study skills. They've got time management, all these things. And to have somebody basically there for that transition with what you're describing really makes all the sense. So what am I hearing is everybody gets a coach until at some point in time they say that they can fly without it? Absolutely. I mean, it's, from the point of view of the university and even thinking economically, it's almost like buying an insurance policy. Because uh, they don't get reimbursed from tuition for people to drop out. And they also don't get their credit, you know, in the ranking of the schools unless they've got high completion and, and graduation rates. And uh, so it's, it's the number one agenda now at the four-year and two-year institutions. And this, to me, is a, a way of ensuring that and obviously would be particularly helpful to uh, kids that have challenges, executive functioning challenges like ADHD. I'm having my own little aha because you're describing, I mean, everybody takes a look at the cost, but as you've described it, what's the cost to the university not to do this? Absolutely. I, I mean, mean, the cost, there, I don't know what their costs are to recruit per kid, but it's got to be significant. And you sure know that their lost revenue for every kid that leaves is pretty significant. So, uh, you know, I haven't worked out the numbers exactly, but, I've got to believe that this would be a cost-effective move on their part, not only financially, but more importantly in terms of getting their completion and graduation rates up to as close to 100% as possible. 
not to mention all the processing requirements, because after all, if they're going to put you through this torturous process, somebody's got to go through, review all those documentations, there's got to be committee with all that kind of stuff. There's all that rigmarole that kind of goes with it. So if we can bypass that, it would certainly save it. And so, you know, Neil, I really appreciate you kind of coming on the show, because our goal here is really to illuminate the fact that the, the system was designed with good intentions, but the fact of the matter is very few are actually taking advantage of this. So I would argue it's not working the way it's supposed to in the, in the, in the my real goal is to really begin to get the discussion going to say, listen, not, let's not just keep doing it the way we're supposed to because it's what's there. Let's invent something that really makes a lot of sense. And what you've proposed, you know, it, it, it logically, it, it makes total sense to me. And I, for all I know, if somebody did the analysis, it might make economic sense for the university. So, again, thank you so yeah. much for your comments. Well, let me add one more. I, I think we can also learn from our, our uh, secondary and, and – uh, and, and middle school education uh, experience, uh, we've, we've been providing coaches at, at really um, uh, poorly performing middle and high schools. Uh, and what we've learned from that is that, um, that initially, you know, the, the thought on providing accommodations is it's kind of a, um, uh, almost like a label. It's uh in some cases, a stigma, and mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's something that you know many kids don't want to be a part of. They don't want to stand out that way. Mm-hmm. So what we've done in the middle school and high schools is we changed the paradigm on that, so that uh, any kid you don't have to have any diagnosis or anything. Any kid who wants to get a coach can get a coach, and and but we only have so many slots available for coaches. Okay. And so what's happened is it's become competitive among the kids to get a coach. I mean, you know, and it becomes something the kids seek. Uh-huh. Uh, how, how did you get a coach? Oh, man, I'd like to have a coach. And instead of being a negative or a um, something related to a disability, it becomes a, uh, wow, I have a coach. How, you wow. know, and, and it, becomes, it becomes something that people seek. And, and it's a as opposed to having any tinge of um, disability or accommodation or anything or labeling attached to it. It, it kind of goes back to the conversation is, is it's any kind of coach is helping you achieve what you, what, what you're capable of. And there's many people out there who, like I said, at the CEO level are doing that stuff. So it changes that paradigm from you're broken to no, this is something I really want because I want to excel. And I, I absolutely love that. So thank you for sharing your comments there. Well, you're welcome. And thanks for having me. Oh, our pleasure, and uh, uh, everybody, we hope you've enjoyed this conversation. I know I have found So <clears throat> I think Neil did a spectacular job articulating that, yes, there's a lot of well-intended laws and a lot of people that want to help these students, but at the end of the day, the system is somewhat punitive for them. We do know that students going off to college that are 18, 19 with ADHD, uh, it's commonly said, assume their executive functioning is 25% behind. So we're expecting 15 and 16 year olds to do this paperwork um, and to do these things that I think it's, it's really kind of unrealistic, but the system is really kind of built that way. The thing that's fascinating, what I really love to him, and I'm a little biased because I am a coach, but that notion, but everybody gets a coach. Uh, I don't know if you have ADHD or learning disability or not, but that notion of you have to prove demonstrate to us that you can do that before we'll let that go is a, is a complete change in the paradigm. And I don't know what the cost of acquiring a student is, but I do think that at the university level, um, 
you know, having to bring new students in and acquaint them and stuff um, is, it's gotta be a costly endeavor and it really kind of makes a little bit of economic sense. So um, real quick, before we go to the break, just a, a quick summary is we have this issue of self-regulation working memory challenge with these kids in environments and high school that makes it more difficult for them to self-regulate and taxes their working memory with peer pressure. We have this transition past age 18 and we go into a system that has punitive expectations for these guys to get services, which is stigmatized. It's, we're starting to really see the, the monumental task it takes to kind of get through this. Uh, we come back to the break. I want to talk a little bit more about this and really from the perspective of the students, kind of what's going on, because we got to stand in their shoes and enlighten a few other things. Uh, again, before we go to the break, I'd like to thank Lori DePar for the invitation to speak at the, the Telesummit. Uh, we encourage um, um, you to go check that out, sign up again. I'm speaking on a, a working memory and procrastination. Uh, you can sign up at succeedwithadhdtelesummit.com forward slash ATR. And the secret word in tonight's show is help. Again, the secret word is help. With that, we'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to Attention Talk Radio. We'll return in a moment. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Change your life by learning more about managing ADHD. Other places give you a few tips. The ADD Coach Academy will change your life. To find out more, go to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. Make every moment count with Time Timer, a sensitive solution for ADHD time management. It shows how much time is left using a bright red disc that gets smaller as time passes. To place an order for a Time Timer, all you have to remember is timetimer.com. You can't go off to college with them, but we can. Visit edgefoundation.org to learn more how an edge coach can help your student reach their full potential. You can also call 206-632-9497 and use promo code EDGE and get a free college success guide. The Attention Talk Network has over 450 interviews and more than 210 hours of programming, which is overwhelming if you think about it. That's why I've made my list top 10 favorite Attention Talk radio interviews. Download the list at www.digcoaching.com forward slash ATR. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody, um, to this edition of Attention Talk Radio. We're talking about ADHD in college. Let's admit the launch pad is broken. Um, I have to tell you, I, I am very involved with uh, uh, ADA, CHAD, ACO, which are all organizations that are supporting their nonprofits are supporting the ADHD community, and uh, there's lots of articles that are out there, and I will have to tell you, part of the impetus of this show is I continue to hear people talk about the solutions in order to help uh, these students launch into, um, uh, into college, and there's a very sobering, and I mean very, very sobering um, report uh, that Teresa Maitland shared with me right now that I think is very, very telling. I want to play a clip that we did in my interview with her back on the show, ADAC College Students Don't Want Help. Uh, so let's listen to this clip, and, um, and then we'll have a little, a little conversation about, you know, where the students stand in all this. So here we go. There's been a large-scale study that the government has done following uh, individuals with disabilities um, 
after they've left high school to find out what happened to them. And this study is called the National Longitudinal Transition Study 2, and the most recent report was published in 2011 when they, um, the researchers checked in with the, these large numbers of students eight years after they left high school to see what had happened to them, and they looked at which ones, what percent go to college, um, what percent didn't, and uh, what has happened. And although they're studying students with all disabilities, we know for a fact that, co that individuals with LD and ADHD make up the largest segment of the disabled population in the public schools as well as in colleges. Um, some of their data does break down by ADHD and LD, but a lot of it's looked at at a large uh, as all disabilities. So the part that I shared with you was there's um, a a chapter that looks at the post-secondary experiences of students with disabilities, and they actually tracked these students to before they went to college. Um, once they were admitted, they asked them, "Do you perceive yourself as disabled? Um, yes or no?" And what we discovered was a very small percent, only eight percent, actually before they started college, and they had been accepted, perceived themselves as disabled, and. Only, um, I think it's only 4% actually at, at the time of getting accepted um, actually let their college know they had a disability. And then they checked in later with these students, and I don't have the exact timeline, but I think it's after the first semester or maybe even after the first year, they checked in to find out of the students who went to college, and let me just clarify again, these are all students who were served in the public schools with an IEP or a 504 plan. So they had been identified as having a disability. Uh -huh. um, so they checked in with those students to find out what percent of them actually um, followed through and, and, and uh, disclosed their disability at the college level. And the number was shocking to me and to you, right? Only 28% yeah, of the students who had, they were identified in high school and had IEPs and. Uh, something like 83% of them had accommodations in high school. Only 28% actually registered with the college disability offices. And out of that group, only 19% only 19% uh, of those people used the accommodations. So a very small number are letting the colleges know, and a very small number are actually then following through. So that led you on a path, right, of investigation yeah. of what the it, heck it, it, is yeah, the, the, I mean, the idea here is everybody wants these these people to be successful, and they're providing these resources, but if they're not taking it, as I like to say, if the obvious solution isn't working, then we're paying attention to the wrong thing, and I think the current system is not working because the take rate is so low. Now, it's funny, not, not funny, but when I was coming through high school, I was fortunate enough to get a swimming scholarship, and when I went off to college, it was to Indiana, they had a. They wanted everybody to graduate. It was a really big deal, and so I, I could. I had access to unlimited tutoring. You know, I was actually proud. I think my sophomore year, I had the highest tutoring bill um, on campus of all the athletes. And I'm like, why would I want to do this the hard way? I can have somebody personally that I can ask questions to. I kind of embraced at the time. It wasn't like I had a dyslexia coach and I did disability services it was through the athletic department and I, again I, I thought it was this is great this is this is making life a lot easier for me and so that was my experience but this is not the experience of the mainstream people here and it just blows me away that that the take rate is so low and I just I'm a little bit of, of awe and thinking we need to start a conversation because 
we need to do something about this because the parents want them to be successful, the college wants them to be successful, the teachers want them to be successful, but if they're not taking it, there's a disconnect here. Well, you're so right, and I think the, study, the few studies that have been done that have looked at the graduation rates of students with ADHD and LD, um, what they're showing is very concerning, that they have, um, although some of them do graduate within a four-year period and do quite well, um, on average they are at great risk for not graduating at all or for taking much longer to graduate. Um, and what we're seeing is some studies, there's a couple of them, and, and the one I did showed this as well, the, more, the higher frequency of use of services, not accommodations, but services, um, actually correlated with graduation rates. And in some studies, if, if the students used learning center services and learning supports or coaches, they actually graduated at the same rate as their peers. So you're right, we're in this catch-22 where um, we're excited that they're coming to college, where all those of us who have been in the field are really thrilled that so many are going to college. But like you said, if there's a resource, uh, if the resources aren't the formal ones, right, the disability offices yep. Yep. are not working, What's going wrong and what do we have to do before they come to college and while they're in college to change it so that they can be successful? So to me, it's been amazing to me of these children or high school students that go in, the take rate is so low. Again, well-intended stuff. Colleges put these things together but if the students aren't doing this, then it, something is not right here. Um, in the interview that I did with Teresa, we had asked other experts to pontificate a bit why they think those numbers were there. And I think the consensus, which is not necessarily statistically relevant, doesn't mean it's the right answer, is these, um, these college kids, they don't want to need help. They don't want the help. And so this takes us right back to we have this system, and I have seen many articles and many things talked about these students and how they need to go um, seek these services and uh, the accommodations and stuff like that. But if they don't want to need it, um, the system that we have really isn't working, um, and we are trying to improve a flawed system, and again, um, to me um, – it doesn't make any sense to improve a flawed system because it's flawed. We need to articulate for a, like a system that really makes a lot of sense. So in summary today, really wanted to put this into context is as we move into the digital means, the mere nature of ADHD, the need to self-regulate to resist social media while you're on a computer screen is difficult to begin with, far more difficult for the ADHD crowd. The challenges of working memory of looking at a screen, holding some thoughts while you toggle to another screen and interact with that information, again, is punitive to what's already a difficult crowd. Uh, you throw peer pressure into that and the need to be cool and lack of anybody sitting down and helping people actually manage the tools where they go into college with a, an executive functioning brain that's 25% behind and asked to uh, – plow through the mounds of paperwork needed to get accommodations for a group of people who don't want to need those accommodations, yet we advocate on top of that. It's, that to me, it's just a flawed system, and it is a community. It's not any one individual that could manage this because it permeates everything, and this is not just related to ADHD. 
uh, other disabilities, uh, learning disabilities, dyslexia, the list kind of goes on and on. Again, as I stated at the beginning of the show, I was I didn't I, I don't have a solution for the problem, but I do think that a holistic case management approach needs to make sense. So if you know of um, anyone that has some influence in the Senate or the House, or if you know anybody higher up to the CEO of an organization that has um, personal story here that can begin to advocate. And, and kind of help organize the, the, the many factions that would take to do this and or uh, presidents of universities. The idea here is to get the word out, to get the conversation, and actually try to illuminate to you out there that the, the launch pad's broken. And it's no wonder that we're having a hard time getting stuff up into orbit uh, and really kind of making a lot of sense. So, um, again, tonight is uh, really trying to pay attention to what everybody's paying attention to, and they're paying attention to silos. Nothing's really, really coordinated. And my hope is that. This and, um, and and you can kind of help begin to raise a voice of a broken system again to try to motivate uh, or inspire uh, thought leaders um, really to start to come together on a grassroots effort to see if we can make some adjustments. So with that, um, again, a very different show for us. Um, interested in feedback, uh, thoughts, this will be on social media. Certainly give me, you know, this is a good type of show, bad type of show type of a thing. And, uh, you know, we'll go from there. Um, I am Jeff Copper. I'm an ADHD coach. My website is www.dig, that's like dig, like dig a hole, coaching.com. And I am the host. Uh, with all that, we hope you've enjoyed this edition of Attention Talk Radio. Catch us next week. Take care.